Let's pray. Precious Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for what you mean to us. And now, Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be fully acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our Savior and Redeemer. Amen. You know, there is uh, a lot of talk about revival and reformation in the light of the soon coming of Christ. And people say, yo, I wish that we had something like the great revivals in the past. And I said it to myself, it would be good if we in some way could try to capture the spirit of revival in the past. And I thought it would be good to have a fresh look at our beginnings. Once upon a time there was a promise in Joel 2 verse 28 to, uh, to, 20 to 32. And that was an experience that is supposed to be for the remnant. In Joel verse 2, verse 28, it says, And it shall come to pass afterwards that I will pour out my Spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and old men shall dream dreams, and young men shall see visions. And also I pour my servants upon the handmaids in those days, and I will pour out my Spirit. It's a beautiful promise. And when was that fu fulfilled? Any idea? When? Yes, Pentecost. Acts 2, verse 16 through 21. And if you read this in your Bible, if you open your Bible, Verse 16 here, and this is a sermon by Peter, and he says, This was which was spoken by the prophet Joel, and shall come to pass in the last days. The last days, keep in mind. Says God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. It's a fantastic picture. And so Peter says, this what you see now is a fulfillment of what? Of Joel's prophecy. And then, was it really a fulfillment? If you read through the prophet Joel, you see then something more. You see something in dark day, dark sun, bloody sun, dark sun, all of those things. And not only this, but earthquake and all those kind of things you see in the book of Joel. And did those things take place in Peter's time? No. So it seemed to indicate that there is something more in the future to be expected. And really, 
That is what is taking place. If you read the book of Revelation, chapters 10 and 18, you see there all those dark days, falling of the stars, earthquake, whatever. So here you see a complete fulfillment what Joel predicted and what not was the case in Peter's time. So you can see here that the fulfillment, the great fulfillment was in the future. And so, what see we here? How can we be a part of that promised revival in Joel, which was repeated by Peter and also by uh, in that? If you turn here to 1 John chapter 1, you see something very interesting in the experience of the prophets and in the experience of the early apostles. 1 John chapter 1, and let us read out a few verses. This was from the beginning which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled of the word of life. Now the word of life here is Jesus Christ. So for the life was made manifest, and we have seen it, and bear witness and show unto you that eternal life, which was with the Father and which was manifest to us. What was that? That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you, that you also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son. And these things we write unto you, that your joy may be full. So what does John talk about? He had an experience. He has seen with his eyes. He has heard it. He has touched it. He has felt it. And he says, this is what I share with you. So what? For what purpose? That your joy may be full. That is very interesting here. So as Christians... It is important to experience our experience, our beginnings. That's what John says. We were there. We saw it. We tested it. And so how can we now protect it, protect it against the last day delusions? Because with what John saw, there were also all the time delusions. John 2, verse 18 to 24. And then John 2, verse 25 to 48 it talks about the delusions and how can we sure that those delusions are not, 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 not delusions? No, we have seen it, we have tasted it. So John is speaking of a personal experience he had with Jesus. And that is what he says is also what, what should be for us. And so our beginnings, so what? So how important it is to experience our beginnings. Peter talks about it. John talks about it. And so here we get now a picture of Satan's war with the remnant. Revelation 12, verse, six, verse 1 to 6. You see the woman, the church, in all its glory. And Satan doesn't like it. Satan goes after the woman. And know that she is pregnant. 
een great event is going to take place and he wanted to prevent it. And so he goes afterwards and that says here that for 1260 days or 42 months this persecution will continue. And then, what can we get then? The remnant is defined. Now, if you have your Bibles with you, and I'm sure you have, talk to the book of Revelation, see the book of Revelation, verse 12, uh, chapter 12, verse 17. Now, what do we read here? And the dragon was wrought with the woman, and went to make war with the remnant of her seed, which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. So what are the characteristics now of the remnant? What? Keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus. And the testimony of Jesus according to Revelation 19 verse 10. What is that? The spirit of prophecy. So if you want to become a member of God's church, you have at least have two characteristics. They keep all God's commandments and then they have the testimony of Jesus, which is the spirit of prophecy. So the prophetic gift must be present. If it is not present, you have to shop further. Supermarket after supermarket for the right church. But there is one more characteristic here. There are three characteristics. Commandments of God, Testimony of Jesus, Spirit of Prophecy. And then, what is the third characteristic? No, no, here in this text. In Revelation chapter 12. It comes after the persecution. After the 1260 years. So keep that in mind. So God's true church appears after the Great Tribulation after the 1260 years. So in other words, the Satan is wrath, wrath on what? On people who survived the 1260 years. God's people who were faithful, no matter what, who stayed faithful after the Great Tribulation during the Middle Ages and whatever. If God's people were faithful, that is the true church. They survived, they were faithful till the very end. They keep the commandments of God and the testimony of Jesus, which is the spirit of prophecy. So if you want to be a member of God's true church, you have to be a church that survived the great tribulation. Are you that? If not, continue to shop. Because you are then a member of a false religion. So here it is. Now what church has these characteristics? The only church that has it are the Seventh-day Adventist church. Okay, now, why do Adventists need to experience the beginning? Because, you know, it was in the time of Joel. It was in the time of Peter and John. And so what, what is our beginning? Shall we then just talk about Jesus? That's a good thing. A very good thing. But that's not all, because what do the Baptists do? Do they talk about Jesus? Yes. yes. Do the Presbyterians talk about Jesus? 
What about the Catholics? Even the Catholics do talk about Jesus. A little different than the Protestants, but they do. So, what is so unique about our experience? And that's what we are going to talk about. Many who embrace the third message, that is the third angel's message, and did not have any experience in the two former, which is the first and the second messages, Satan understood this, and his evil eye was upon them. Hey, do you know that if you don't have an experience in the first two messages, the evil eye is upon you. But the third angel's message was pointing them to the most holy place. And those who had an experience in the past messages were pointing them to the way into the heavenly sanctuary. Early writings, page 256. And so the first two messages are important, according to this statement, because they point us to what? To the heavenly sanctuary. Now, where do you find the heavenly sanctuary in the first two angel messages? In the first angel's message is here that fear God, give glory to him for the hour of judgment. And where do you find the hour of judgment? In the sanctuary. It's very important. And where in the sanctuary? Most holy place. And where in the Bible do you find the most holy place? In Daniel chapter 8, verse 14. The cleansing of the sanctuary. That is the hour of his judgment. And that is what caught the eye of William Miller. He didn't have it all completely true and correct. But there is where the early Adventists had their focus on. And so you can see here that we are now going to talk about, not about the third angel, about the first angel. What is so unique about the first angel that gives us a testimony of witness. We, and, uh, and unless you experience that beginnings, you cannot be a part of the great revival in the last days. What is the impact of these messages? Many saw the perfect chain of the angels' messages and receive them in their order. They followed Jesus by faith into the heavenly sanctuary. These messages represented to me as an anchor to the people of God. Those to understand and receive them and be kept from being swept away by the many delusions of Satan. Again, early writings, page 256. And so it shows then, if you want to have the perfect chain of truth, you have to start with the first angel, experience the second angel's message, and then the third angel's message. Are you, are you with me? So what, why read, why read about the beginnings of the remnant? Now, that's interesting here. The experience of William Miller and his associates of Captain Joseph Bates 
and of other pioneers in the Advent message should be kept before our people. Ellen White writes it in letter 105 in 1903, close to her death. So why does she feel that that so, is so important? Why to keep it before the people? Because that is why I preach this morning about this here. She says, the standard bearers, and that is in the early part of 1900, the standard bearers have, who have fallen in death are to speak through the reprinting of their writings, to bear the testimony as to what constitutes the truth for this time. Counsels to writers and editors, page 32. Now, why is this so important? Because she talks about it. They had revealed, they were revealed the present truth. You know, the early pioneers talked a little about the present truth. Today we don't talk about it so much. But that's very important. So if you want to know the present truth, the truth for this time, for the final days of earth history, that's very important. And do we present the present truth? Is, is it talk, just talk about Jesus? No, the Baptists do it. The Presbyterians do it. So it is not just talking about Jesus, but a specific message that Jesus had for the time of the end. And why is it so important? Because it prepares us for what? To meet the Lord. To be ready for the time. So it continues now here. The history of the early experience in the message will be a power to do what? To withstand the masterly ingenuity of Satan's deceptions. She wrote it in letter 99, 1905. So Satan is after us to deceive us because he doesn't want to know the message that protects you against the last days. Deception. It is a power Repeat the words of the pioneers in our work who knew what it cost to search for the truth as for the hidden treasures and who have labored to lay the foundation of our work. Review and Herald, May 25, 1905. Again here, how it is, because the pioneers discovered this. They, they, they went ahead. They, they, they followed all the way the truth. And she says, that is what our people need. And so here we have nothing to fear for the future. Fear for the future. Don't fear for COVID-19. No, there are many things that are going to be taking place. And except as we forget the way the Lord has led us and his teachings in our past history. So not just know the history, but what did the Lord teach us in the last days to our people? Because that will be something that will take away what? Our fear. Our fear. We don't need to fear for what is taking place in the future. It takes away the fear. Now here is the time of the remnant. Revelation 6, verse 12 to 14. My wife Laurel read you something. Jesus opened up the sixth seal, 
And here you find the three cosmic signs. Now, how many people here in Dunlap know those things? And if they don't hear it from us, where should they talk? Where should they touch? Here is the Lisbon earthquake, November 1755. Horrific earthquake and a devastating tsunami. Epicenter was in Lisbon, but the tsunami hit the whole east coast, even England, and the shocks were as far as America. Now we speak now about the Tongo and what happened there a few weeks ago. And whatever. This tsunami was further and more powerful than anybody else has ever experienced. And it was so powerful, in just a few minutes, 60,000 people lost their lives. 60,000. Yes, friends, it was terrible. And specifically, uh, Lisbon, you know, uh, it's in uh, Portugal is a Catholic country. But many of those countries, many of those churches were wiped out completely. Then, where Laurel talked about the dark day, here, here you find a whole poem about this. And again, people say, hey, this is the next sign. And so we have now to look for the next sign, which is the falling of the stars. The falling of the stars, November 11, 1833. The greatest meteoric shower that has ever touched this world. In fact, it was so powerful that in one hour, 60,000 falling stars were there. The Leonid showers, the most frightful of all history. Now, every year you find in November the Leonid showers, but you have to wait quite a, a bit before you find see a star falling. It's a, uh, only a little bit. Uh, so Jesus opened the seal, the cosmic signs of the times. The first five seals deal again with the terror of persecution, the 1260 years. But now, when the 1260 years are towards the end, Jesus now gave special signs. For what? To wake up our people. Wake up our people. Today, how many other people? The Adventists remember those things. You know? Revelation 13, verse 3. It talks here about something that happened in the last days. And what is that? The, not yet the age of passion. But we hear then about what? About the deadly wound. The deadly wound of the beast in 1798. Here you find a picture here of the captivity of Pius VI in 1798. Uh, there is only one place in the world, world where you can see this. If you go with me to the Vatican Museum. This coming June I go there and will show you the museum. And then the museum, you see here the Pope being taken captive and in a horse carriage he is now taken to France, and here he dies. There he is. He dies in 1799. And so the impact of those signs, what was the impact? Here it is. 
Revelation 10, verse 1 to 3. <coughs> Here it says, and I saw another man in the angel. Now remember, this is the result of the captivity of the Pope. And I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven, clothed with a cloud, and a rainbow was upon his head. And his face was as it were the sun, and his feet as pillars of fire. And he had in his hand a little book, open. What is a little book? That is the opening of the book of Daniel, Daniel 12. And when, as a result of the fall of the stars, and the dark day, and the earthquake, people are eager to find out what more can we see? And of the curse, the next sign was the cleansing of the sanctuary. And so here then, the little open book, and the open book, and he set his right foot upon the sea and his left foot upon the earth. And he cried with a loud voice as if a lion roareth. And when he had cried seven thunders out of the voices. And here you see then the rise of the Advent movement, the open of the book. And it goes, the movement goes worldwide, everywhere. You find it in Europe, in every mission station in the world. People were searching, what is this here? What is this cleansing of the sanctuary? A great revival of interest in prophecies about the Second Advent. And here you see then the rise of the Great Advent Movement. That was a revival never experienced before. And now God chose William Miller as its inspirational. My phone joins me. God chose William Miller as his inspirational leader. Who was William Miller? A farmer. Something a went wrong. Please try again. This is terrible. <laughs> Something went wrong. They don't want to show William Miller. I'm sorry. <laughs> you see, this is how Satan tries to undermine. Okay. Get away, Satan. Okay, God chose William Miller as his inspirational leader. And this farmer was a deist. He had not believed in God and all. But then, when he was in the war of 1812, he was fighting there. And you know what he noticed? All his friends and colleagues were falling down. Dead, dead, dead. And he was spared. And he says, that is strange. Why was I spared? from all the calamities. He resigned from the army, went home, and started to study. And his mother said, come, William, go with me to church. Oh, he said, yeah, I don't believe in that. William Miller, go, go with me. And so he were, went with his mother, and suddenly something touched his heart about the story of Isaiah 53 and the suffering Messiah. 
And he couldn't explain what it was. But it led to his conversion. And as a result, he studied the Bible. And for nearly 20 years, he studied the book of Revelation and Daniel. And he was convicted of this. And so, among those who joined William Miller were Joseph, Josiah Litch, Charles Fitch, Joseph Bates, Hiram Edson, Alan Harmon, James White, Gene Andrews, Uriah Smith, and others. And a number of those people were in their teens. Can you imagine? Teens. The young people were caught up in this revival. Uh, and then, here in Revelation, Daniel 12, verse 4. What should we dare here? The beginning of the unsealing of Daniel was in 1798. And as a result, many, many people were converted. And this was now the experience of the remnant. Historical experience of the remnant. In Revelation 10, verse 10, verse 8 to 10. Here it is. Here is the result of the voice that he heard in the Second Advent Movement. And the voice that I heard from heaven spake to me against. And he said, Go, John, take the little book, which is open in the hands of the angel, which standeth on the sea and up of, of the earth. And so I went to the angel and said to him, Give me the little book, that is the open book of the book of Daniel. And he said to me, Take it and eat it, and it shall make your belly bitter but it shall be in thy mouth sweet as honey. And so I took the little book out of the angel's hand, ate it up, and it was in my mouth sweet as honey. See, that is the early experience of the Advent. When they tasted the prophecies, they, they, they were stimulated to study it and to share it. But what happened? The great disappointment came. They did not see Jesus coming as they expected. And so it says here, And as soon as I had eaten it, my belly was bitter. Can you imagine all the friends said, Hey, hey, William Miller, Joseph Bates, you're crazy. You thought Jesus would come and he didn't come. You are false prophets, false prophets. And that is what they experienced, a bitter experience. But that was not the end. Because God had a special message for the Adventist. And he said unto me, John, you must prophesy again before many people, nations, tongues, and kings. So the end was not there. Continue. And you go to the next chapter, chapter 11, and what do you see the focus on? The focus is on what? The temple in heaven. The sanctuary in heaven. And that was the solution to the disappointment that Jesus, instead of coming to the earth, he did what? He went into the most holy place and started the hour of his judgment, not the day of his judgment, the hour of his judgment. And so, friends, this was it. Now, turn into the book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel 
What does the book of Ezekiel tells you? A very interesting message here. Ezekiel chapter 3, verse 1 to 4. And here is then the angel who says, Son of man, eat that thou findest, eat this scroll. The New Testament talks about the book. But eat this scroll and go and speak unto the house of Israel. Speak unto God's people. And so I opened my mouth and caused me to eat that scroll. And what happened? And he said to me, Son of man, it called, cause thy belly to eat and fill thy bowels with this scroll that I give thee. And then I eat it and it was in my mouth. What? Sweet, sweet as honey for sweetness. And he said to me, Son of man, go and get thee unto the house of Israel and speak unto me the words unto me. So this is now eating. You see, it's devouring the prophecies and they're kind of enthusiastic about it. It's sweet. But if you share it, many people are not waiting to listen to you. No. They may jest about it, joke about it. But no, here it is. God's people have a sweet experience. And I can remember, in my, you know, when I had this sweetness, it was, I was enthusiastic about it. I shared it. And what did my parents say? Don't join this sect. She said, no, 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 it is the Lord. The Lord speaks to this. She said, see, you see the, the door? You go out the door. And if the Lord is with you, he will survive. You will survive. See? That was the bitter experience. But I didn't believe the bitter experience. I believed the sweetness of the sweetness of God. And I went and I said, Lord, if you really call me to this message, you will take care of us. And so, being expelled from home. I went to the Adventist church and the Adventist church says, fine. I said, I want to preach those messages. She says, yeah, you know, the Lord will take care of you if you're called. I said, how, how do you know that you're called? I said, I don't know, but I feel a desire to, to, to spread the news. I said, I wanted to go to one of the schools. He says, do you have money? No, I said, I don't have money. Then you can't go to the schools. I said, how much does it cost? Oh, yes, thousands of dollars, thousands of dollars. I said, how can I earn? Do you have a job for me? No. But we can give you, here, I give you a, a satchel of books. And you go from door to door, door to door to door. And if you are really called by the Lord, you will have success. So I went, first day, six magazines. Now, you know, you don't earn your school fee for six magazines. <laughs> Next day, 12 magazines and a book. Next day, again, two books, three books. I said, Lord, please help me, help me. School is coming, school is coming, I need to be ready. And in that month, one month, I, the Lord allowed me to break any record, every record of canvassing in Holland. And he had nearly all my money in one month. 
this so I <laughs> the pastor said, I guess the Lord must call you. And he has never disappointed me. I never became rich, but rich in the spirit. And that is if there is here anybody but the Lord calls you, take him up. No matter what he asks you, do it and you will be successful. And if you are not successful, then the Lord has something else for you. But don't give up. Don't give up. And that is the message of Ezekiel. They were hungry for the word and they studied the Bible and prayed and fasted. And so they searched and devoured Daniel and Revelation. Here, James Wright's conversion. You know, if you have the book Life Incidents, this whole book is available on Google Books. Download it and you may read it. Fantastic. And here, Lesson in Godliness. He wrote his whole story there. And he was baptized at the age of 15. But then he wandered away and uh, wanted to make a career for himself in the world. And, uh, and, and so he lost his initial fire. So his mother told him, he said, James, here, Jesus is coming. William Miller preaches. Get ready, get ready. He said, no, William Miller is a fanatic. I don't worry about it. But he was impressed, and his mother said, you know, there are some evangelistic meetings. Come with me, come with me. No, 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 yes. No, no, no. And finally he decided to go with his mother. And the message was so powerful that he says, yes, I believe that Jesus is coming soon. So he was distracted, but he returned here and the invitation of his mother into the Millerite movement. He renounced his worldly plans and followed God's providential leadings. And friends, this was a fantastic ex conversion experience. But the Lord says, okay, impressed him. He said, he was a teacher. You go back to your former scholars, your former teachers, your former teachers and students, and tell him about the message. He said, no, 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 I don't want it. But he couldn't get any peace in his mind. So he went then to where he started to teach his career, and he started to share with the students. And nearly every student that he preached to accepted the message and became converted. And so he said, oh, the Lord must have that. And so you can see here what he did and fantastic experience here. Here, now the Adventist experienced a revival of Joel 2.28. In great controversy, Ellen White says, of all the great religious movements since the days of the apostles, none have been more free what? From human imperfection than the, and the wiles of Satan, the death was of the autumn of 1844. It was fantastic. See, between the early apostles in 1844, none was more powerful than this message. Here it is, the first angel's message. Revelation 14, verse 6 and 7. It calls people to repentance. Fear God. Give glory to him. And the urgent message was for the hour of his judgment has come. He's coming, he's coming. And to escape doomsday, repent. 
except he has an everlasting gospel. And what was the success? Now keep in mind here. This was a handful of people. <coughs> it was a revival that resulted in a mass conversions. Whenever the message was given, it moved the people. Sinners repented, wept, and prayed for forgiveness. Parents felt a deeper solicitude for their children. And those who received the message labored with their unconverted friends and relatives and with their souls bowed with the weight of solemn message. They warned and entreated them to prepare for the coming of the Son of Man. This soul-purifying work led the faction away from worldly things to a consecration never before experienced. You believe that that is possible today? Friends, if we get the understanding, because, you know, you can't just say, hey, Jesus is coming. No, you have to show the prophecy. You see how close we are to the end of the end. Because otherwise people say we are just a group of fanatics. No, the evidence is there. God has given the evidence. And if we share the evidence, like William Miller and James White, people get converted. Yes, friends, whenever this message was given, it moved the people. So, what was the success of the message? Thousands were led to embrace the truth. And preached by William Miller and servants of God were raised up in the spirit and power of Elijah to proclaim the message. Like John, the forerunner of Jesus, those who preached this solemn message felt compelled to play the ex to lay the axe at the root of the tree and called upon man to bring forth fruit to meet to repentance. And as this solemn warning for to flee the wrath to come was sounded many many saw the backslidings and with bitter tears of repentance and deep agony of souls, they humbled themselves before God. Again, early writings, page 232 and 233. You can see here how the conversion rate was fantastic. And, and uh, you see, William Miller and those who, who labored with him, they were called the Elijah. So if you go out to share this message, what does the word of God say? You are the message. You are the Elijah of the last days. And not only the last days, but you are John the Baptist. Now, what, what did John the Baptist do? Prepare. Prepare for the coming of Jesus. And so we then, if we go out, we are then the Elijah to restore the gospel. We are the John the Baptist to prepare the world for Jesus' coming. What an honor, isn't it? An honor to be called the John the Baptist to be called the Elijah. And so, friends, this is what God has to paint. And this is not simply nice dreams. No, it, 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 it is powerful. How can the last day generation experience this revival? How can we experience this? Recapture and relive the pioneer experience through the extensive reading of the pioneers. We have to recapture them. Uh, 
friends, if you don't read them, if you don't study them, you never get contaminated, infected by this. Experience eating the books of Daniel Revelation. How? To study it. When I read those books, I said, Lord, what can I do? And the Lord says, you can study. Study, prepare. And then, when we were prepared, we went over that. We went to Korea, we went to Thailand, we went to the Philippines, and also Washington, D.C., Maryland, you know, all those countries. Live for the great expectation of Jesus' return. Hold on to what we hear about the beginnings of the remnant and expect to experience the outpouring of the Holy Spirit promised to the all too. Friends, this is what we can experience. And so, here is the appeal. Because I love Jesus today, I want to make a covenant, a sacrifice of time. I wish to covenant with the Lord, to spend time each day with him in morning and evening devotions. And if those morning and devotions voices are geared to the Advent experience, it will contaminate you, it will affect you. But remember, you have to sacrifice time. If you don't sacrifice time, those are dreams. Dreams that will never be fulfilled. And here we have parents with your children in the morning, study the Bible, in the evening, Ellen White, or the pioneers. You know, with, with those things, what did we do with our children? We read books like Luther and Calvin, the Waldenses, and then they contaminated our children. But if the children never hear about those things, how can they ever be missionaries? They will not. And they will be bombarded with the TV and all the attractive things there. But if you want to have missionaries, read the missionary stories, morning and evening, don't give up, but make now the decision, make now the commitment, make now the covenant with the Lord. Lord, I will do this to prepare the next generation for you. And what about the older people here? Your grandchildren, your grandchildren, and you had, your children asked you to babysit them. And when they are gone, the babysitting continues. Babysit, babysit, babysit. Don't do all kinds of other things, but do those things. Grab the opportunities, friends. Can you see these marvelous things? Are you willing to make a covenant with the Lord? And Lord, I want to do this morning and evening with my children, with my family. Can I see the hands that want to make this covenant? Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, you have seen the hands of those who make this beautiful commitment to prepare their children themselves for sharing the good news of salvation. Father, we know that Satan is angry when he hears those things. He doesn't like it at all. But Father, you are more and more powerful. You have given us this message, this message of counsel. And please help us, Father, to gain in the victory. Help us to share this message in power. And may we see that through the Holy Spirit, 
workings through us, many will be find conversion. Thank you so much, Father, for this church. May this church be a powerful witness here in Dunlap. And not only Dunlap, Saudi Daisy, Chattanooga, and all the other countries here. The whole, the whole state of Tennessee and further. Please, Father, use us so that we may eat and drink this message. In Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.